Hey, what's going on, everybody? Brian with the Herfcast here. So, I've got a new coupon code for you. If you are thinking of joining a Cigar of the Month Club, stogiebird.com is a good place to start. I haven't been disappointed yet. And I've got the coupon code form now. If you use the code HERFCAST, you will save $5 off of your first order. And uh, June featured uh, Crown Heads, Asylum 13, Casa Cuevas, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, Cavalier Geneve, and then if you're in the eight pack, you got uh, Nick and Jim, you got Tatawahe, you got Amandola, so you got good sticks. Uh, I definitely recommend joining the Cigar of the Month Club if that's if you're into trying new cigars every month delivered to your door. Um, like I said, five bucks off if you use the coupon code HERFCAST. So get on it, stogiebird.com. Also, check out the website, theherfcast.com. You've got links to Flatbed Cigar Company there. You've got a link to the CRA. You've got a link to my Patreon. There's the store. So, my guest tonight is Mike Duarte. So, my guest tonight is Mike Duarte. He is from Hawaii, and he gives us a pretty awesome history and culture lesson about Hawaii. We discuss that a lot. Uh, we also discuss some cigars and booze. Uh, we get into that, but the, the first half of it is, is a pretty, pretty awesome history lesson with Hawaii. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Let me know what you think. Brian at theherfcast.com. Send me an email, questions, comments, um, suggestions, anything, hate mail, whatever. Uh, feedback is feedback. So Get it to me. I'd appreciate it. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that garbage. So, thanks a lot. Enjoy. Uh, how's it going? Not bad. Nice night. Looks pretty clear tonight. Well, I mean, there's some overcast, but we're uh, not going to get any rain. It definitely looks better than here. So, <laughs> but um, what do, what do you got tonight? I am smoking a Micarita by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. All right. The uh, Muy Gordo, one of my favorite sizes. I, I I tend to smoke larger ring gauges. Yeah. So typically I like my 6 by 60s That's I've got the My Father Labijou 1922 Churchill. Um and I'm drinking some Elijah Craig small batch, and I've got a uh, Lagunitas IPA on standby in case uh, you know we ended up doing a chug. So. Oh shit! That'll mean I have to go back in and grab my scotch. Oh. <laughs> if, if, I just brought this out. I just got through working out a little bit earlier. Yeah. So. Uh, so uh, this is Mike Duarte joining me all the way from Hawaii. Um, I honestly can't remember where we're at in Hawaii, and I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce it correctly anyway. So. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Mike Duart. I live on the west side of Oahu, a city called Waianae. Fairly easy to pronounce. Yeah. But you've lived here all your life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, For other people, they just kind of murder it. Yeah. So, born and raised... Um, Yes. And um, 
Let's see. I, I don't know how to, how to phrase it correctly, but um, you long lineage from Hawaii, right? Yeah. Um, so pretty much similar to Native American Indians, right? Native American Indians were the first ones there um, within the same respect. We as you, you, you have two different classifications. So back when King Kamehameha was alive and when he created the kingdom of Hawaii, he has stated that everyone who lived here in Hawaii were considered Hawaiian. The only difference between a Hawaiian and someone who has native Hawaiian blood in their system is we as native Hawaiians, as, as the people who have been here from, you know, before the settlers came, uh, before uh, Captain Cook came, um, we were to be called Kanaka Maoli. So the Kanaka Maoli is the actual lineage, lineal descendants yeah, of the land. Um, as Hawaiians, we were voyagers. We were ocean voyagers. If, if you look through the, the Polynesian Triangle, you will see that out of all of them, you have a lot of the Polynesians still exactly where they were. Samoans are still in Samoa. Tahitians are still in Tahiti. Fijians are still in uh, you know, Fiji. Um, you, you got your Maori who are in New Zealand. But it was always said that it was the Hawaiians who supposedly were descendants of the Samoan, you know, the Samoan race that branched out and we were the ones that populated the triangle. So even if you look at, um, in, in recent times, we've, we've had the uh, uh, Hokulea. So our Hokulea and Nainoa Thompson, them, they're basically navigating the same way they used to back in the days of old. They're not using, you know, sextants or GPS systems, compasses. They're not using any of that. They're navigating the seas by way of the stars, the sun, the moon, and that's how they're navigating the oceans. And they have sailed across, I, I'm pretty sure they sailed across the entire earth or I, I know they've gone all the way across to the Atlantic. Yeah. Just using a double hulled canoe. Hmm. You know, most people take on an endeavor like that with an actual metal ship or, or, yeah. you know, a sailboat, something that was actually designed with modern technology. The Hokulea was designed with the same technology we had back in the day. The Hokuleas were, the Hokulea was, um, carved by a man named Papa Mao. So Papa Mao is a Micronesian. When the Hawaiian Voyaging Society wanted to relearn the culture and our history of, of navigating the oceans, navigating by stars, navigating it, you know, without any type of instrumentation, it was a Micronesian who had to teach the Hawaiian people how to navigate again, because a lot of our culture, a lot of our history, a lot of the things that we did 
prior to Western culture coming over um, was pretty much diminished, forbidden. You know, it, it's like our language. Our language has finally, our language and our culture has seen a resurgence over the past 10, maybe 15 years now. Yeah. So it's, it's like um, there's a cultural reawakening in our people. Right on. And a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, it, it, it's coming to a point where we're, people are starting to realize that we're all mortal. We're all human. Yeah. But being of Hawaiian blood, our bloodlines are thinning out. It's, it's only a matter of time before the Hawaiian people as a race will pretty much end up disappearing. And that's because we came from one specific place in the Polynesian Triangle. We came from these islands, and that's where we're from. Yeah. So, you know, we do have pure Hawaiians still here on our islands. A lot of them are still on Ni'ihau. Uh, my stepfather, the man who raised me from when I was three years old, he was pure Hawaiian. Um, his dad brought the family over from Ni'ihau when he was 13 years old. But he was part of that age or, or that, that generation where they were persecuted for continuing their practices, continuing to speak the Hawaiian language, the native tongue. Um, we say olelo. And that's how, if we speak Hawaiian, we don't say we speak, we're speaking Hawaiian. We say we olelo. And that's the word for it. Um, you know, if, if you want somebody to speak Spanish or if you're trying to ask somebody if they speak Spanish, you know, you, you'd say habla espanol, right? Yeah. So every culture has their own languages, their own language barriers. And we had a lot of things taken away from us. And that's because the Hawaiian people, we were the only royal monarchy in the United States. Yeah. So... We had treaties with other nations. We had treaties with countries like France, Britain, um, Russia, China. Our king, King Kamehameha, had branched out and created treaties with all of these other countries. And it was to ensure that our people would still have its culture. Well, when the Big Five came over, and what I mean by Big Five, I'm, I'm talking about the corporations. If you look at the history books, the history books on what they say about Hawaii is a very watered-down version of the truth. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, that's, I, I think most history in general is a very watered-down version, um, you know, especially American history. It's all, you know, written by the winners, and you, 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 get, you get the 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 glassy eyed version where where everything is perfect and um at least that's I, I i think that 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 might be starting to change a little bit but i don't it's been a long time since i've been in school it's as as far as it changing for the people who really want to find out the truth about things 
most people will delve into it and they'll dive and they'll they'll research. They'll do their due diligence and find out the truth behind it all. Yeah. And you know, for us as a as a people, it, it it's kind of painful for us because when Hawaii was made a state, the way they went about it was they basically imprisoned our queen. So the big five are the big corporations that came to Hawaii to start farming. And they realized that our soil, and because of our sun, they could grow crops like sugarcane and, and pineapples all year round. And we didn't have to worry about seasons. Most places in the rest of the United States, you have to worry about seasons because you have your winter, your fall, your spring, your summer. For us, year round, we can grow crops. It's no big deal. Our winter isn't really that big of a winter because it's like we have snow in only specific locations. Mauna Kea, Haleakala, those are a few places that have snow. But these are also areas that are like in excess of 10,000 feet. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not a widespread issue. Um, I think as far as crops are concerned, the only thing you really have to worry about is a hurricane. Yeah. So the big five, Dole Corporation, Alexander and Baldwin, um, those, those are just a few of the companies that were here that ended up, they basically convinced the United States of America that their way of life was being threatened. So the way they took over Hawaii and, and tried making Hawaii a state was by way of annexation. If you look at everything that happened, Hawaii was overthrown illegally. They landed a, a bunch of Marines that were at the dock. Those Marines marched into the palace and put our queen under arrest. And, you know, she was basically told that if she was to try and get the people to rise up against the Americans, we'd be wiped out, which is true because, you know, our, our, our technological advances at the time, we were dependent on the Western on, on Western civilization to get these technological, uh, technological advances. Yeah. Um, here's, here's another fun one for you. So Iolani palace was the first, um, what was it called? It, it was one of the first buildings to be powered by electricity. Okay. Um, it, it was it was one of those big steps forward for us as a people. And the the other fun thing about it is, Hawaiians as a people were were very literate at the time. Um, It was, it was our, um, our, our kings and our queens, um, how should I put it? We would use the word kuleana. So kuleana basically means responsibility. It was their responsibility to make sure that their people would be educated so that we would be able to stand in a room with anyone at any given time and hold our own in any type of conversation. So... Literacy rate for the people of Hawaii was at an all-time high. I think it was 
above 85% or something like that of all the people of Hawaii were literate. So we knew how to read and write. Um, you know, that, that also came about because of the, the whole, we couldn't follow our old practices, right? We, we couldn't use our own language. We couldn't follow our, our old practices of the hula, um, our aiha, our, um, we, we have uh, a whole bunch of different, like our fighting techniques, the old school fighting techniques, the, the warrior's ways. A lot of, it, the, as far as the warrior's fighting techniques, uh, the name for that is called Lua. Okay. That's a Hawaiian martial art. And, you know, we had primitive weapons. We were using wooden handles with shark's teeth in it. They, they call that a leo mano. And that's, that's what the warriors were used to fight. That wooden spears with the same thing, you know, shark's teeth in, uh, basically thatched into it with um, rope made from the coconut husk. So we may have been a primitive culture, but, you know, we had our own little advances yeah. Without having the the use of metal, we're still able to thrive. And the Hawaiian people live in unison with the land. So everything we did, we made sure that we never take too much of anything. Yeah, just a nice... What we needed. A nice balance. Yeah, because, um, you know... If, if you look at everything nowadays, because there is no balance, everything's all screwed up, which is why they started having to, you know, genetically modify a whole lot of things. Yeah. Our, our cattle, our pigs, um, chickens, you know, we got stupid crap running around like uh, swine flu, avian flu. All of those things are because we started injecting those things and we started playing with these things. Yeah. God, God, we're not supposed to mess with that. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's kind of getting off topic. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to the the people of Hawaii. So we were the first ones here, and when Hawaii was overthrown, they they made it a. They said that we could, you know, the people could vote whether or not they wanted to become a state. Well. The only caveat to that was Hawaiians weren't allowed to vote. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, the big five pretty much made it in their favor. So the only ones that were actually able to vote were the Westerners. Yeah. We had no voice in our own history. So everything that should have been set up for us was pretty much taken. I mean, they took, what was it, like 1.3 million acres of our land for the federal government's use. Hmm. Which, if you think about it, you know, that's the same thing the United States pretty much did to the Native American Indians. They took their land and gave them whatever they felt was good for them. Yeah, it's it's definitely... Uh, a lot of similarities. It's definitely a familiar story. Right now, 
we have a whole uh, we have a whole group of different um, organizations here in Hawaii that are, are trying to regain what was lost. The problem with it is there's a lot of them that just want to bicker with each other. And instead of working together to try and move forward, settle one issue at a time. Yeah. Everybody wants their own thing. The bad thing about that is some of these organizations out there are doing it, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it seems like they're doing it for themselves. Yeah. They're doing it to try and make their name in history. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. The reality of it is you're not supposed to be trying to do this for you. You're supposed to be trying to do this for the future generations. Yeah, exactly. Because right now our future generations are losing everything. Um, you know, we, we have an organization called the Department of Hawaiian Homelands. So the Department of Hawaiian Homelands responsibility is to make sure that there's a place for the Hawaiian people because King Kamehameha had allotted um, what, what is called ceded lands. And the ceded lands was supposed to be for the people, the Kanaka Maoli, to ensure they have a place to live. Well, the problem with that is they were given the land, but they weren't given any money to try and do anything with the land. Yeah. And then you have another organization called OHA, Office of Hawaiian Affairs. So OHA has money. But you have OHA on one side, Department of Hawaiian Homelands on the other side. You know, OHA is supposed to help the Hawaiian people. But in a lot of ways, these, these two organizations are state-funded organizations. They should have never been state-funded uh, organizations. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the federal government should have set aside something, but they were only interested in their own bottom line. Hawaii was a strategic outpost. That's one. Two, the biggest reason for them actually coming in was because the big five had said, oh, we feel threatened. Yeah. They're trying to revolt. These guys are trying to rebel, um, you know, there, there may be a loss of, of American lives. So that's how they were able to take over Hawaii. Um, a few years back, President Clinton had written um, the apology for the overthrow. Um, that's fine, but you're still not doing anything to change what happened. Yeah. If the written apology, you know, it's like, we can wipe our butts with that. <laughs> no, what is that really doing for us as a people? I mean, you're not saying that you're going to do anything more for us. You're not saying you're going to try and help provide more funding so that we can have everything that we're supposed to be. We, we have a hospital called Queens Hospital. When Queens Hospital was created, it was supposed to give every Kanaka Maoli free health care. That went by the wayside long ago. Yeah. Because the hospital realized, oh, we need to make money. Queen's not around. King's not around. Who's going to stop us? So, uh, 
Like I, I'm completely ignorant to all things Hawaiian. Um, I, I didn't do do well in history as it was, let alone the uh, the watered down versions. Um, now, how long ago was King Kamehameha? 1800s. 1800s? Okay. Yes. So. So, um, 1959, Hawaii became a state. Yeah. Um, prior to Hawaii becoming a state, I believe 19... When was the overthrow? The overthrow came sometime prior to becoming a state. Yeah. It, it didn't happen right away. It, it was a few years after that they, they finally created Hawaii as a state. Yeah. Basically by annexation, by way of annexation. Yeah. The, the worst thing about this is our king had created treaties with all of these other countries, but no one else stepped up against America. Yeah. Because America was always considered to be that, that big bad boy on the block, right? Yeah. To this day, America is still the big bad boy on the block. And, you know, I love this country. I have nothing against this country. I serve this country. I, I was going to say, you, you were a Marine, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even though it was the Marines that actually took over Hawaii yeah. and imprisoned our queen, it was one of those things. It was my personal choice that my personal belief that I was meant to be in the Marine Corps as compared to any other branch of service. Yeah. I think I was right because I pretty much enjoyed my whole time in the Marine Corps. There were bad times, but. And uh, if, if I remember correctly, the other day you posted something about uh, uh, you were in desert storm. Yes. So, uh, well, I guess, I guess before we get into that, uh, I should mention that uh, me and Mike don't really know each other. Uh, we, we, we met recently through a Facebook group, uh, the legends. Uh, so it's a fun, it's a fun group. Uh, I I'm new to it. It's definitely a, a tight knit, uh, take care of each other and, and enjoy life type of group. It's the, the legend smoke and chug, but, uh, you know, Mike sent me a friend request, uh, and, you know, I, I was taking a look at his, at his profile and whatnot. And I seen, I seen a couple of things that really, really piqued my interest. And that was, you know, ab- about Hawaiian culture and whatnot, which we'll get back to that. Uh, but yeah, in, in one of your videos, like what we do in the group is we post videos of chugging a beer or chugging, chugging some booze and we call somebody else out to do the same. So, um, but you know, you mentioned the, uh, you know, I guess, uh, memories memories of desert storm um and so that's that's how i knew he was a marine and he served in desert storm so i guess that 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 brings us to where we are now yeah (laughs) so during desert storm i was um my mos is a 0352 anti-tank gunner i'm a tow gunner so there's a storm. I was attached to a unit called First Tanks Battalion. We were part of their uh, anti-tank platoon. So during there's a storm, um, 
when the ground war kicked off, we were the first ones through the breach. They didn't, they didn't want anyone else in front of us. So ground troops, tanks, Amtraks, no one else was supposed to be in front of us. And the reason for that was because Saddam Hussein at the time had a very heavy complement of armor. He had a lot of tanks at his disposal. Um, as anti-tank gunners, you know, it is our job to take these things out. The technology that we had, the weaponry that we had, I mean, a tow missile will go through 36 inches of homogeneous steel. Jeez. 2.2 miles out, we can take out a tank any given day of the week. And there isn't a tank in the world made today with 36 inches of steel on its side. <laughs> Even with the, you know, the, the advances in armor and, and armor types, you know, ceramic composite armor, shawarm armor, reactive armor, all of those things are fine and well, but the tow missile was designed to destroy those things. Yeah. It was made as a tank buster. So there's nothing that can really stop it. You know, I've had Abrams drivers laugh and chuckle and say, oh, you know, that thing's nothing against an Abrams. And I was like, want to put your money where your mouth is? <laughs> and, you know, they, they start talking to us because, you know, they, they don't know us. They don't know what that missile is capable of until they start talking to us. And then we explain these things. So, and then they're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. So yeah, um, you know, during Desert Storm, there was no one in front of us. We went through the breach first. As we go through the breach, as my vehicle, you know, my Hummer went through the breach. Um, I look back and the breach started getting shelled. Right after we had we had come through, you know, they started just shelling the hell out of that that breach, that minefield, because basically that's what it was. We're coming through a minefield. Um, as soon as we got on the other side, we had to start engaging enemy tanks. So <laughs> it, it, it took us a while before we were actually finally able to get some shut eye. I, I think we're up for maybe 48 hours straight. Ground war lasted only about three days. Yeah, that's still brutal. Just, yeah. I mean, adrenaline Adrenaline can take you so far, but, I mean, fatigue and exhaustion has to set in at a certain point, I'm sure. It, it does. And, um, you know, the, the weird thing about it, too, is our, our Hummers, we, we were using Humvees. You know, nowadays they have better vehicles, more well-equipped vehicles than we had back then. The way we up-armored our Hummers, you know, the, the ballistic panels that they use now on these Hummers for the doors as far as well as the glass, they're a whole crap load thicker than what we had when we ran through. Yeah. Um, we basically had sandbags on the floors. And the sandbags on the floor was supposed to be there to try and help if we ran over a mine, yeah. say. And it's like... Really? That's that's what we get? We get sandbags? Yeah, really. <laughs> that's not going to protect you from shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially when you consider, if you look at the, the thickness of the floor of the Hummers, it's just, uh, I, I think it's roughly about an eighth of an inch of aluminum. Yeah. I mean, we used to stick our bayonets and our K-bars through that shit. <laughs> so, 
you know, I mean, we, when we do deep water fording to try and get the water out of the Hummers a lot faster, we basically use our, our K-bars and stab the floors and open up a hole so that all that water drains. Wow. <laughs> that's that's crazy. So. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it, we had a few every instances from time to time, you know, things didn't always go exactly as planned. Uh, fortunately, you know, we all, as a tow platoon, we all made it out of there alive. Um, unfortunately, prior to the actual ground war starting, you know, we did take a few losses. You know, I, I have a few friends that died by friendly fire. So one of them was this guy. Um, he, he's a guy who went to school with us and became a tow gunner. His name was uh, Lance Corporal Daniel Walker. This kid was from Texas. Short little kid, really unassuming. Um, you know, as small a stature as that boy was, he had a heart like a rock. I mean, that kid would not back down. You know, you could try and punk him all day long. He'd play with you. He'd let it go, let it go. But, you know, punk him enough. Yeah. He'll step up to you and he'll show you that he's not willing to back down. So, you know, Walker was always a fun guy to hang around. But, you know, unfortunately, there was a event that happened. Uh, there was a unit that was being um, – that was over enemy lines. <clears throat> and they were being pinned down by enemy fire. And they needed extract, so their CO called up his LEV, had their LEV go across and try and bring these guys back out. Well, apparently someone wasn't really paying attention. They saw the LEV and immediately thought it was enemy. So they called in an airstrike. F-18 dropped in. First pass dropped flares. Second pass dropped the Maverick right up its backside. Wow. So that night, there were only two people that survived. Um, the first one was the guy that was told to jump out and try and stomp out the flare. The other guy that survived was the driver of that LEV because his driver's compartment blew forward. Wow. I mean, it's not like he got away from that thing unscathed because I'm sure he got injured, but yeah, he was alive. So, I I don't know how much you want to get into get into that, uh, but uh, I mean, as far as mentally, uh, how how do you cope with that? In all honesty. Um you know, it's it's a daily struggle from time to time. As, as far as PTSD is concerned, I wouldn't really say I have PTSD because it's not something that, you know, I'm walking down the road with a firecracker pops off and I start losing my shit, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not like that. Even though, you know, we did have a few instances where we ended up getting into some really serious firefights, um, you know, I, I think I was glad that I was in a Marine Corps because our training regiment is 
a lot different than than other branches. Yeah. I, I think in the Marine Corps, they have a tendency to immerse you in it as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the training is always real life, you know, situations. And you always walk into it knowing that everything you do, even though it's only training, you have to think of it and realize it as this could happen in real life. You do it as if you do it as if this was a real battle against, you know, enemy. As a live exercise. Yeah. And, you know, live fire exercises, we've had our fair share of bad mishaps, but it's still one of those things where you need to be able to feel the, they, they, they have this thing called the stressors of war. And that's why they do it. Is so the stresses of war and fog of war. So the fog of war is where you're so embattled, you you start clouding up, you you start hazing over, and you, you start forgetting what you're supposed to do. The reason why we train as hard as we do is so that everything is memory, muscle memory. Yeah. It's all repetition. So when rounds start going down range, you react as compared to think about. You know, you, you stop thinking. Your your body automatically goes, okay, we got enemy here. Let's go. You know, you start moving towards the enemy. You start trying to flank the enemy. You start trying to pick and choose your targets. You try and get yourself some cover and concealment so that you can see exactly where your enemy is before you start shooting rounds down range. You got to identify your enemy. You got to make sure that that is an enemy and not somebody just hunting. Yeah. Because it could have been just an errant round. Anything more than two rounds, that's not an errant round, right? Yeah, yeah. At that point, there are there is definitely someone trying to get you. Exactly. So, you know, I, I was I, I know that I was blessed enough to be able to have the camaraderie of of the men that I was with, and we look out for each other a lot. You know, we find us we find each other on Facebook. We have a little reunions down in uh, Daytona Beach. Um, sometimes we do it in Vegas or Arizona, wherever the guys may be. You know, we'll try and post up ahead of time and say, "Hey, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to organize a get together. Anybody in this area at this time, let me know. Hit me up. Let's do this." Yeah. And you know, the guys will come out of the woodwork, and you know, they'll present themselves. I think I need a light. I'm pretty sure I'm fading out here. Ah, you're all right, man. As, as long as as long as we could hear each other, we're good. So. Oh, okay. So yeah, um, you know, it, we we've had a few guys commit suicide, and it really is unfortunate to to see that our 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 you know our, our brothers in arms have resorted to committing suicide. Um, I know there are better ways to deal with things, but I have my moments where, you know, I'll break out a bottle of, you know, 1.75 liter bottle of Johnny Black and I'll wake up the next morning and that bottle will be almost empty and I'll be like, what did I do last night? Yeah. Yeah. That's... But it, it, it's not like I'm out there actively going, you know, bonkers or anything. It's just, Moment. At times, I just feel like enjoying a good drink. 
Yeah. So, and I may take it to an extreme. <laughs> so, how did you end up getting into cigars? Hmm. That's an old Marine Corps habit, actually. Yeah. Uh, in the Marines, I used to smoke cigarettes at first. Um, you know, as as a kid, you kind of want to try and be more mature, so you venture into different things like. You know, being from Hawaii, I was never really around people who, you know, use use dip or snuff, you know, Copenhagen and Redman, you know, grabbing a big old plug of Levi Garrett or something. <laughs> so as a Marine or, or just as a human being in general, you know, I, I experimented with some of those things. Redman, Levi Garrett, you know, um, Copenhagen, Skull. Tried all of those things, tried smoking from a pipe, and, you know, that was all right, but it really wasn't something I liked. And at the time, you know, smoking cigars was kind of one of those things where I liked being able to smoke cigars, but we were very limited as, as far as the cigars are concerned. So we had, like, White Owl, New Yorkers. Yeah, know? yeah. Or, or that, that silver, that, that one that's in the silver tubal with the purple writing on it. I, I don't even know what brand that thing is. Yeah, that's, I, I'm, I can't think of it. But so I, now, now, back in, in Desert Storm days, there was, there was no uh, cigars for warriors or anything, was there? No, that's, Not at all. that's a fairly new concept. Yep. We would get care packages, but the care packages mostly consisted of, uh, you know, cigarettes, um, just just things that will kind of take your mind off of the things that you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, they they put all sorts of things in there, magazines. Um, every now and then, they they throw like bags of cookies and stuff. What whatever they would they would send and the worst thing you ever want to get sent to you when you're in a climate like that anything chocolate <laughs> why would you do that <laughs> if it can't be refrigerated don't send it yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's it's like you get it and it's like this big bag of mushiness it's like yeah. what is yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I never thought of that honestly. So, so you know, if, if you want chocolate, you know, the only thing that you'd be really wanting is M and M's. Yeah, makes sense. That's the only way you can get chocolate and not have to worry about it turning into a mushy blob of mess. Yeah, e- even then, if if the packing's not good, they're still gonna crush and. You know, oh yeah. But... Yeah, and you'll still end up with that that mess here and there but for the most part you know you you can kind of sort of get away with it yeah yeah so uh, it was it was kind of funny because uh you know in, in the middle eastern countries they they don't ingest pork yeah so we had a guy who had a few cans of canned pork brains sent out to us and 
or like whatever, you know, let's try it. Let's just see what it is. <laughs> we ate it straight from the can because it was, it said it was cooked already, right? Yeah, yeah. As far as taste wise, I mean, the only way to explain the way that thing tasted was it tasted like really bland spam. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. So it's it's kind of nasty in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know. I guess uh, I guess I have to ask. Uh, you know, I definitely enjoy eating barbecue and whatnot. And you brought up pork, and you're in Hawaii. There is the uh, Hawaiian style pig roast. Um, how? Kalua pig. I'm sorry. Kalua pig. Kalua pig. Yep. All right. So, what what is the proper technique if uh, if someone if someone in the in the Midwest wanted to do something like that? Um, you know, when you draw and quarter your pig, you have to salt it. You know, um, we use Hawaiian salt. Basically, what Hawaiian salt is is rock salt. Yeah. So. That's what we use. Um, you know, you, you have the traditionalist, which will get this salt called alai from Kauai. And the alai salt is, it, it's harvested from the salt ponds, but it has a red coloring to it. And that's from the red clay that's in the ground. So the alai is, you know, you're getting this red clay and it's actually medicinal. So it has a lot of minerals and, um, you know, it's not so much nutrients or vitamins. It's just straight up, um, you know, earth minerals, right? So some people use that, but you basically have to dig a hole, throw a whole bunch of, for being in the mainland, the only wood you could use that would be comparable is mesquite. We use a wood called kiave. And, you know, when you compare the two, they're basically almost the same. Yeah. It's a hard wood. It's a really smoky wood. Um, you use the mesquite wood to heat up the rock. And we use um, these riverbed rocks, kind of like lava rocks, which is kind of porous. Yeah. So we put all the wood in, fire it all up, get it all hot. We put these rocks on top. These rocks all heat up. And they absorb all of that heat. Yeah. Once it's gotten to the point and the temperature it should be, we start taking out the bigger logs so that we've only got the emu rock in there. And then we cover it with um, um, banana stump. So the banana stump, we have to you know, mash it up so that we can spread it around evenly. The banana stump provides a lot of moisture. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever broken into a banana stump, but if you try cutting it open, you're going to find that it's really, really moist and dense inside. So we use a banana stump. We use a banana leaf. We wrap the glue pig in, um, we wrap the pig up in uh, chicken wire to keep it all from falling apart. Yeah. We put it on top of the, the hot rocks. We put some of the rocks inside of the, the stomach as well as inside of the head to try and help, you know, cook it all the way through. That yeah, makes sense. And it's roughly about, I think about eight hours, six, eight hours. We cover it up in burlap 
you know, burlap sacks that have been soaking in water and we seal it up as much as possible so that all the steam, all the heat stays inside. And when it's done cooking, you know, we open it up and it basically just falls off of the bowl. That's how soft and tender the pig comes out. But you have all of that, that smokiness from the Kiavi wood. You have that, that uh, moisture from the banana stumps that have made sure that that pig does not dry out. Yeah. And then we just basically start shredding all the meat. And that's, that's how we make a little pig. Well, so the Samoans, we call it an emu, which is an underground pit that we dig. Yeah. On the Samoan side, they call it an umu. And for Samoans, they cook their pig on top of the surface of the ground as compared to burying it like we do. So do they basically cover it in the hot rocks? And yeah, they, they, they basically do the same as, as just in reverse. Instead of underground, it's above ground, and they just cover it up the same way. Ah, so so what's, the, what's the biggest difference uh, uh, quality or taste-wise between the two? Almost nothing. Yeah? Yep, because the two cultures, I mean – the languages between Samoans and Hawaiians are so very similar. Um, you know, it's like I said, we call it an emu, they call it an umu. Yeah. U-M-U, whereas we pronounce it I-M-U, yeah? Emu. Gotcha. And there's, there's so many words that are similar. We use the word aloha. They use the word talofa. So one of the one of the main reasons that I wanted to uh talk to you was one of your posts uh you you posted a picture of a sticker on a road sign that said native Hawaiians are illegal immigrants. And you had a very a very educated and well put response but someone like i i've never been to hawaii and like i said earlier i'm pretty ignorant to all things hawaiian uh hopefully not for too long um but uh that's i like i said to you the other day i never would have thought anything like that uh you know on on the islands i guess uh that 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 separation so uh, obviously that's something to be said about the, the Western culture coming in and whatnot, but, um, so how, how big of an issue is it between, between natives and non-natives that it took somebody to, to take time and resources to make a sticker and go out and fucking put it places? There. Well, yeah, there's there's a bunch of those stickers running around up on the North Shore. And, you know, when, when my apprentice had told me about those stickers and he took pictures of those stickers and showed it to me, I was, I was really upset about it. Um, I, I took a step back, let myself calm down and, and thought about it really, you know, really carefully. And, you know, I could have come out like a punk and tried calling people out, but the problem is, is you're not changing the issue. You're just aggravating the issue even more, right? 
So instead of trying to aggravate the, and, and antagonize the issue, I decided to say, okay, maybe let me try and help educate people as, as far as someone trying to claim that Hawaiians are illegal immigrants. That to me is a very ignorant statement. Now, and, as, even as an outsider, like, I mean, that, that's just complete ignorance and fucking asinine. So, yeah, um, I mean, that, that's, me, that's why I was so intrigued. Yeah. For, for me seeing that, I was like, okay, to understand that whole thing, you need to understand the first part of this is that we were here first. Yeah. We were here and we have been here long before anyone. So for someone to try and say native Hawaiians are illegal immigrants, um, no one else was on this land. And, you know, my response to that was, we're not like the United States of America who ended up taking over America from the Native American Indians. We were here already. Unlike the Native American Indians, you know, they were there. But here comes Western civilization. They find this new land. Now they wipe out all of the people who are there in order to take over their continent. And it's like, you, you, you know, they basically wiped out almost the whole race of, of people who were indigenous to that land. Yeah. Because the Native American Indians were there first, but yet they lost everything because why? Western civilization had better technology, better weaponry, better tactics. Um, you know, we were, we were kind of sort of faced with the same thing, but... You know, that's why I was so angry about it is because, you know, we, like I keep saying, we were here first. So it's not like we took this land from anyone else. There was no one here when we arrived. We settled these lands. So do you know what the, like the approximate uh, percentage is in Hawaii that are, that are native versus implants? Um, no, right offhand, I, I really have no idea. Um, but see, there's people like me out there who appreciate when people come over, want to learn and understand our culture. Yeah. I really appreciate that because, you know, that shows somebody who's not trying to make someone else be like them. Yeah trying to understand who we are and you know the whole thing about the people of Hawaii is we have the spirit of aloha and the spirit of aloha is you know the word in itself is love but aloha is used for many different things I mean we use aloha for goodbye hello um, you know the, the word itself is is a multi-use word yeah but overall Aloha was supposed to be sharing our love with each other. So we, we have a word for people not from Hawaii. The word is haoli. And, you know, you have a lot of people out there, white people, basically, is, is who identify with that word. Um, the truth about that word is it's not just limited to white people. Haoli is anyone who is not from Hawaii. 
But haole doesn't mean white person. Haole, the word itself, means without breath. Ha is breath. Ole is without. So when we greet each other as Kanaka Maoli, the way we greet each other is we, we get close to each other, we touch our foreheads to each other, uh, together, and <clears throat> we basically breathe in each other's essences. You know, we, we take a deep breath when we greet each other, and that's what we call ha. We are sharing our own ha with each other. We are sharing our own breath with each other. So when the white people came to Hawaii, they shook hands, which was okay. why the word haoli came to be, was because when you shake someone's hand, you are without breath yeah. because you are not sharing your breath with each, with the next, you know, with the other person. You're keeping it all to yourself. The reason for sharing your breath with the other is you're sharing yourself. Yeah, you're opening yeah. yourself to that person. And that's kind of a spiritual as well as um, a, another way of trusting that person. Spiritual, emotional, uh, just yeah. that, that, that connectivity. Yeah. So the other sticker that was out there was a sticker that said, locals grown here don't belong here. Yeah. So that one frustrated me too because it's like, where else are we supposed to be? This is our land. This was our land prior to anyone else. <laughs> so try telling me a local grown here does not belong here. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd be more than willing to go toe to toe with anybody who'd want to try and tell me I don't belong here. That's like know? saying, that's like saying corn doesn't belong in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it it's, and it, it's, it wasn't one of those things where I wanted to get into a physical fist fight with anybody. I just wanted people to understand that, these statements should never be made. Our lands were taken from us. Our culture were ta was taken from us. Our history was almost erased. Our queen was in wrongfully imprisoned. Um, you know, our monarchy was dissolved. And we have the only monarchy around. Yeah. The rest of the United States was not ruled by a monarch. The rest of the United States was ruled by Western civilization. They were basically ruled by the Pope. Huh. Because initially when they came over, when the Spaniards came over, it was because the Pope willed it, right? Yeah. Columbus came over because they were looking for more land, and that's how America became America. Well, that's part of it. The other part was... The ones who originally came, the colonists, decided we don't want to be part of England. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to pay taxes. We don't yeah. want to pay taxes to the Queen. <laughs> and look at us now. Yeah, we're we're, we're paying taxes to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, you know it. it, it so, it's kind so, of funny. Uh, you know, when when you were talking about the the greetings, which. You know, I, I'm obviously going to have to listen to this again to get a better grasp on the terminology and whatnot. But uh, it, so how would it be received if someone who is not native tried to approach you with that greeting? For the ones who know and understand the truth about the ha, 
the the actual greeting. Yeah. We'd actually step back at first and and be surprised because it's not something that happens every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when we see that, we respect that and we we appreciate that because we're 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 meeting someone who's. We're being greeted by someone who's, uh, you know, understanding of, of our culture and our, our, you know, original practices and our original ways. Yep. And that person would be greeted the same way. If that person comes up, you know, puts their arm around you and, and you know, puts his forehead to yours, you immediately understand that you, you have to think, wow how do you know this? You know, after we, we talk, you know, after we, we greet each other, then, you know, we have to ask the question, how do you know this? You know? Yeah. And, you know, you, you have, you, you know, it's like I said, we, there are people that come out who want to learn our culture and our ways. And when we see that, we are very appreciative of, of people willing to do that. You, you have a lot of people who are out there, like, especially out on Mauna Kea. Um, you know, it's not just Native Hawaiians out there on Mauna Kea trying to fight to keep our, our, our land and our cultural practice and, you know, practicing areas pristine. So we, we have, there's, there's, there's a really diverse group of people who come and immerse themselves in our culture. And we receive them as if they are part of us. Even though we know they're an outsider, um, we still give them that respect. That's amazing. And we do it because they're giving us, they're showing us the same respect. Yeah. So, you know, I was always taught, you know, you have to earn respect. You you don't just give respect. Exactly. And you know, both parties doing that, you're sharing each other's respect. You're sharing each other's each other's life breath. And we we have another word called manao. And manao is your uh, your inner spirit your 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 uh, inner spirituality. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the word I was trying to look for. <laughs> so when you share your manao with someone else, you're sharing a lot of yourself with that person. As long as that person, you, you don't, you kind of have to watch who you do that with because some people receive it and use it wrongfully. Yeah. They'll use it for their own purposes. And, you know, you don't want that. You don't want anybody to try and take advantage of you, right? But the ones who are open and who are actually openly to share, you know, open to share their own manao with us, that's when you're on an equal plane with that person. And when you're on an equal plane with someone, you can actually have a conversation with someone else. You know? I, I always, always had to scold my sister because, you know, my sister would argue with my stepmom. You know, they'd be arguing and yelling at each other. And I'd, I'd tell them, I'd say, wait, 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 okay, stop. I said, you're yelling at mom. Mom's yelling at you. I said, you ever stop to think who's listening to what you're saying? 
Yeah. And my sister would look at me and she'd be like, what are you talking about? I said, did you hear anything that mom was saying to you? And she stopped and she'd be like, no. I said, why do you think you didn't hear anything mom was saying? Oh, because I was yelling. Exactly. Yeah. If you stop, take a few seconds, calm yourself down and have an actual conversation. You'd find that you'd actually get more done by talking this out in a rational way and in a normal, calm, conversational tone of voice than if you start yelling at each other. You'll get more done by talking to each other like that. Because when two people are yelling at each other, nobody's wanting to listen to the other. Jeez, if if anybody actually started practicing that, we would be in a different fucking world, man. That's, we would. That's, and I mean, you could say it politically, you could say it personally, emotionally, anything. Um, you know, I mean, shit, you look at the bipartisan, bipartisanism in, in the government and, you know, it's kind of the same proce- uh, thought process. Like if, if we would just settle down and talk to each other, it, it would be better. Or, you know, like you said, you know, one, one hand has this, the other hand has, has that with, uh, you know, the, the, the two different organizations. Um, you know, if they would work together, things would be so much, so much better and everything would be streamlined and shit would get, you know, fixed, I guess. Yep. Look at Congress. Yeah. You look at Congress, everybody's at each other's throat. Your Democrats are at the Republicans' throat. Your Republicans are at the Democrats' throat. Your liberals are at everybody's throat. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's a no-win situation because everybody thinks they're right. If you stop and give each other the respect to hear that other person out, Give them that time to explain their point of view. The other person does the same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's like our presidential debates. The only problem with our presidential debates are you have a mediator. You have someone that has to call time out. Yeah. Why do you have to have somebody like that? Shouldn't you be respectful enough of the other person to be willing to allow them that time to speak their piece, to say what they have to say, and to listen to what they have to say before you interject? Yeah. And that's, that's, I I mean, honestly, I could say like, I I have a three and a half year old son and that's definitely something that I've learned in the past three and a half years is, uh, instead of, instead of just getting pissed off and yelling or anything like that, you know, I've definitely learned to, all right, I need to explain this to him and like, let him know like what's, what's wrong with the situation so that he can learn, which I mean, it's, it, it, it's a lesson for both of us, honestly, but, um, yeah, uh, if, <laughs> if, if anybody could talk to anybody else civilized, you know, in, in, in a civil manner, you know, it would, it would change a lot. Yep. You'd find yourself not more, not prone to committing, um, to getting into a war with anyone. You'd find yourself and. You know, it, it, it's that whole thing with respect, right? A, a lot of people think that they're better than the next. The bottom line is we're no better than the next person. Yeah. We are faults. Everyone is not, there's, there's no perfect person in the world. Oh, I there's sure as no, sh- sure shit ain't perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I make mistakes, um, you know, on a daily basis. I, I do things wrong on a daily basis, but 
when I make these mistakes, I try to correct those, you know, I, I, I try to correct those issues. Yeah. I, I had an incident the other day with a coworker and, you know, I thought we were joking with each other. He took everything the wrong way. So I gave him some time to calm down and I called him up. I said, Hey, um, you know, I got to talk to you because, you know, I think everything went awry really fast. I said, yeah. you know, I had tried explaining to you. I understand the situation you're under. I understand the stress that you're under. I understand that you're doing someone else's job that doesn't even belong to us. I said, you know, I was just trying to express to you that these are the things I'm finding wrong as I'm out there trying to do my job. I wasn't trying to tell you that you weren't doing your job or that you were doing a shit job. I was just trying to tell you, hey, you know, these, these things are getting through. Constructive criticism. Well, not so much constructive criticism, just trying to let him know, give him a heads up that, hey, you know, if you see this, I just want you to understand that this is out there. Okay, I got you. But I also told him, I said, hey, you know, knowing that you have all of this going against you, I figured out a workaround. I figured out a way to get it done. So if it gets through, don't worry about it. You know, if you can't get to it, don't work. Don't stress yourself out about it. Just do the best you can. We get it. We'll get it. We'll deal with it. You know, don't, don't overexert yourself. Yeah. And so he kind of calmed down about it. He goes, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with all of this. I said, I know. I said, I talked to our boss and he explained exactly what's going on with you. I said, you know, at first I was curious because I thought all of these things were supposed to be resolved. And when it wasn't resolved, I was wanting to know why. So I asked him, why is this getting through? When he explained it to me, I understood. And that's why when I responded to you, I responded to you in a joking manner. But as I said earlier, he took it as if I was just downing him. Yeah. I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm not perfect. I wouldn't down anybody like that. Even if he's, you know, he's, he's not a journeyman. He's just an apprentice. I am a journeyman, you know, as a journeyman, I'm supposed to help teach the next generation of electricians. Yeah. If I'm criticizing people in a way where I'm disrespecting that person, I am not helping that person at all. Yeah. I am making that person frustrated. I am making them hate their job coming into this trade, you're supposed to enjoy what you do. If you have somebody making you hate what you do, how are you going to enjoy your job? Yeah. So, you know, it, we, we had this discussion, we talked about it and, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, you know, I know what you're going through. I just want you to understand, you know, I appreciate everything you do for us because you, you, you put yourself out there 110% of the, you know, you give us everything you've got. And even though you may fall short, you're not perfect. Things happen. What are we yeah. going to do? We just deal with it. And so he was like, yeah, you know, uh, I was just, I was just angry and I kind of took it the wrong way. I said, no, dude. I said, like I said, you know, we're not perfect. Each of us have our own emotions, our own things going on. And, you know, at the time you honestly felt that I had no idea what you were under. I said, but if you look at my previous messages to you, I was trying to explain to you, I know. Yeah. I wasn't telling you, you know, I wasn't telling you I, that not knowing what you're under, not knowing the pressure that you're under, 
because he's just one man trying to do a job of three people. Yeah. And that's why I had to explain to him. I said, wait, wait, wait. I know what you're doing. You're doing a job for a company that's supposed to have their own people there. You're doing their job. And he goes, yeah, you know, he goes, oh, I didn't know you know that. I said, dude, I told you before I even made that comment, I asked first. I said, I'm yeah. not going to just jump out and, you know, just lip at you. I, I, I try and find out the facts first. Because if I don't find out the facts, then I'm just going in half cocked and I'm just going to look like a dumbass, right? Yeah. Well, that's, I, I had somebody, I, I forgot my, um, I, I have a pair of Bose wireless earbuds and I forgot them in my crane one night. And the next day, I I see this guy. I was like, "Hey, have you seen these?" He's like, "No, man, that sucks." Uh, hope hope you find them. Those are expensive, aren't they? It's like, yeah, you know. Well, for the next week, like I I have an app on my phone where if the earbuds are in range, they show up. Yep. You know, and every time this dude was around, they were in range. Every time he wasn't around, they were out of range. So I waited a week. I, I tracked it for a week, like waiting. Like, cause I wanted to be sure, like if I'm going to accuse somebody, I want to be damn sure that my accusation is correct. So like waited, we were, we were both walking out at the same time on a Friday. I had the weekend off, which is a rare fucking occurrence for me. But I, I asked him, I said, Hey, look, dude, like, is there any chance that maybe possibly on accident, these could have fell into your backpack and you didn't realize it. He's like, no, man, he's, you know, uh, my, my, my wife bought me a pair for my birthday, you know, this and that. And, uh, was like, Oh, do you have them on you? He's like, yeah. It's like, do you mind if I see him? So he pulls him out of his backpack and he hands them to me and you could see it in his eyes. He knew he wasn't getting them back. And I had the app, <laughs> I had the app open on my phone and there's a button, you know, to, to make a sound. So I was like, all right, dude, check this out. I hit the button for make sound. And the earbuds started singing. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I don't want any problems. He's like, you know, $200 isn't anything to me. I could just go get a new pair. I don't want any trouble with anybody. I was like, all right. You know, I, I shook his, I stuck my hand out to shake his hand. I said, all right, it's done. It's over. Um, you know, it, it never happened. You know, he's like, all right, man. Yeah. But it's like, but yeah, may, covering your bases first is definitely, definitely a good idea. But and and it and, and and sure enough like for the next like six weeks this guy was training me on this crane so yeah for okay stealing is one of those big no-nos for me and absolutely the reason why it's a big no-no for me is because my stepdad i got busted shoplifting as a kid i was maybe about 12 years old worst thing about that was i had the money on me I could have easily paid for everything that I had stolen. Yeah. But, you know, when you're a kid, you think that you're impervious, right? You think you can get away with anything. Yep. That's because you're a kid and you're too stupid and realize that adults know more than you do. Yeah. <laughs> so I got busted by my, uh, I got busted for shoplifting. My stepdad came to pick me up. I got the worst beating of my life for that. Till this day, you know, my, my stepdad has long since passed, but to this day, that ass beating keeps me in check. Yeah. 
if if I see something that I want, I'll do whatever it takes to work hard enough to be able to afford it. Yep. Because the last thing I want to do is try and steal something from someone else because you'll feel it inside. You'll know that you're wrong. Oh, yeah. And for me, I mean, life is too short to be holding dumb shit like that. I'd rather go to bed with a clear conscience knowing that if I couldn't afford it, I couldn't afford it. But eventually in time, I most likely will be able to. Oh, for sure. And that's, I mean, hell, right now, for me, that's uh, cigars. There's, there's plenty of cigars that I want to I, I buy, but at the back of my mind, it's like, well, I know that we have these bills, and I know that my wife wants this, so I'm going to have to hold off on that box. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, a five-pack is good enough sometimes. Exactly, exactly. You know, you, you, get, you get enough to hold you over till the next time, and, and, yep. and you're good to go. Or at least something to try it, you know, something that you've yeah. never had before. Let me try and see if I can get a five pack. All right. Hey, I can't get the 20, you know, I can't get a full box. So let me just get this for now and I'll just hoard the rest. You know, I'll try that first one and the rest, I'll just put them in a, in a humidor. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's lessons in life that we all have to learn. I was hard-headed enough to have to learn a lot of my lessons the hard way. Which is a lot of the reason why I joined the Marine Corps as well. Yeah. It's because I realized that if I joined any other branch of service, they would not be able to deal with me and the way I was. I, w- I was too hard-headed to be able to deal with, you know, anything. I, I would have I- – I wasn't that guy. But – you know, being in the Marine Corps, it taught me and opened my eyes to a whole different set of values and, you know, a, a bigger sense of respect for others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in my personal life, it is my personal belief that we as men should never raise our hands to our women. Yeah. Um, our voices in general, same, same rule. I mean, I have never once called a woman a bad name, no matter what she's ever done to me. I've never once beaten a woman for anything she's ever done to me. Um, a lot of that has to go with, you know, again, my, my childhood. You know, I saw my stepdad hit my mom once when I was like six years old. And he hit her because she was trying to tell him to stop hitting me. He had full right to hit me because I did wrong. Yeah. You know, so when I saw my mom get hit because of something I did, you know, I told my mom, I said, don't ever get in his way again. You know, if he's beating me, let him go. And my mom was like, but you're my son. You know, I'm supposed to protect you. I said, mom, you're my mom. If he's beating me for something I did, let it go. I'm yeah. a boy. I'm okay. yeah. we're, we're boys. Boys always heal up. You know, you just leave it alone. I, I told her, I never want to see you get hit like that again. And I never, he never raised his hand to my mom like that again. And I was always appreciative of that. Yeah. But that also gave me a lesson to learn and, and, uh, um, I guess an example to live by. Yeah. 
And so a lot of the reason why I live my life by such a strict code is because I have daughters. If I'm treating a woman disrespectfully, if I'm beating a woman, if they do that to my daughters, I can't argue yeah. because then I'd be a hypocrite. Well, that and they're going to expect that treatment when they grow older. Exactly. And that's why I try to teach my daughters. I said, you know, when you want to find a man in life, look at the way I love your, you know, your auntie or because um, my, my daughter is my, my wife is not my daughter's mom. My daughter was from another relationship. Yeah. But I told her, I said, look at the way I treated your mom when she and I were together. I never once yelled at her. I never once swore at her. I never once called her a bad name, regardless of how bad everything got towards the end. I still never did that. I told her, you know, you need to find a man that'll love you and love you enough to never treat you that way. I said, you know, you, you look at the example I'm giving you. That's what you should feel. When you go to sleep at night, you should feel happy and content at all times. You should never go to bed thinking that, oh, no, he's going to be upset with me tomorrow. Yeah. You know, oh, no, he's, he's going to be, he's, he might hit me tomorrow or something. Oh, that's, I, told her, I told my daughter, if you're ever in a relationship like that, run. Yeah. I said, if you can't run, call me. I will get you out of that relationship in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, that's, I, I was, I was married previously and lucky enough, there was no property, no kids. So it was a, it was an easy split, but even, even through what she put me through, like my, I, I learned as a kid because my parents not once yelled at each other in front of the kids. That's they, they, you know, I've, I've obviously since learned that they've had their arguments and whatnot, but they've never raised their voices at each other in front of us. Yep. And, and that's because they were good parents. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very, very fucking fortunate for that. You know, I, I definitely don't discount the fact that I had really good parents. You know, I, I, I still do. Um, but that's something that I, I took with me through life. And even when shit got rough in, in my previous marriage, I not once did I ever call her a name. Uh, we did raise our voices at each other because shit got heated sometimes, but no contact, uh, no, no name calling. Uh, now there's, you know, I've, I've said a couple of names, not to her, but you know, while talking about the situation, um, but you know, that's, uh, you, you could, you could forgive, but you don't forget. Yeah, and that's definitely. that. That's that's something that my mom and my dad taught me. You know, it's you know, be careful what you say, because you could forgive, but you can't forget. Yep. So I mean, I had a, I, I was in a relationship with a woman, and um, she basically fooled around on me like seven times, and I found out about every single one, and I forgave her for it. You know. And she eventually realized that I was a really good person. But by this time, I had already realized that she wasn't the one for me. Yeah. Because if she was the one for me, she would have never done those things to me. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, I get into these relationships with women and I, I tell them right off the bat, 
if you're the type of woman that needs drama in your life, I'm not the guy for you. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. If, as soon as I see crazy coming in your eyes, I'm gone. I am out the door. You know, I'm, I'm not sticking around for that because that's not the kind of life I want to live. I want to live my life uncomplicated. I want to have a life that's full of love. And if you can fill your home with love, then everything else can be solved. Yeah. Because that means you're, you're giving respect. You're getting respect. You're sharing your love and you're open to each other. And, you know, it, it doesn't always work out, you know, <laughs> it, it, you end up eventually figuring out that, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the, the person for me, whatever the case may be. But you want to try and, however things go, you want to try and do it as amicably, amicably as possible. Yeah. And you definitely don't want to be, <clears throat> regardless of what a person has done, because like my, my daughter's mom did a lot of bad things to me. But, I never once held that against her or badmouthed her to anyone else. I kept that all to myself because that's not something else anybody else should know. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I let it all go because it's easier to let it go than to dwell on it. Once you start dwelling on it, it starts festering. It opens a wound that can't be closed. So I guess I'm a combination of that. Because I, I've definitely talked about what, what was done, um, but I definitely don't dwell. Um, I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm actually still friends with my ex-brother-in-law. Um, you know, I, I worked with him. I, I got him a job at, at the previous place of employment. And, you know, his, his first day I said, look, if you don't have any problems with me. I don't have any problems with you because he had his interview like the day before I kicked his sister out. But, and, and with him, like never, never talked about anything, you know, as far as that, as far as that went. Uh, I, I have, I have talked about the situation with, uh, you know, close friends and family and whatnot to, to relieve stress and everything to, you know, I, I guess therapeutically, um, but I, I didn't hold on to anything. Like I said, I, I worked with, I worked with her brother for close to five years and we still talk. And I think she's been mentioned maybe, maybe twice she's been mentioned. Uh, and that was basically he, him bringing her up, calling her crazy. But I mean, ne neither here, here nor there, but that's, when it, whenever I talk about it, like I, I refer to it as a past life, like that, that life happened, it was done and that's it. It, it. It's done and over with. There's, there's no sense in dwelling on it at all. You know, I've, I've moved on, I've moved on well. Um, and I, I can't complain about that. That's another thing is I, I don't regret anything that I've ever done in my life. It's, it's all happened. I, I've done it. And all that, it, it, it's made me who I am today. So, I mean, I have, I have no reason to regret anything. 
deliberate regret, you live with a sore that's, like I said, festering, right? Yeah, it's it's an open wound. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to regret anything that happened in life. You just want to be able to learn from the things that happened in life. Because it's going to, it's, it's only going to serve to help you be stronger in the future for whatever may happen and whatever may come at you. Um, you know, life throws us a curveball every single time. It, oh, yeah. It's never going to be an easy road. But, you know, it's like I was saying, if you have enough love in yourself to be able to share it with someone else and that person willing to reciprocate, there's nothing that you shouldn't be able to overcome. I agree. Together. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So, I got to say, uh, I'm, I, I was expecting a, uh, like, 10, 15-minute, like, serious conversation and then... <laughs> And then fucking around the rest of the time, but uh, yeah, this is this has been deep, and I've I've definitely been enjoying the shit out of it, man. So, <laughs> but um, it it was it's kind of like what I posted in that that um that comment I had made about those those stickers. Yeah, a lot of the guys from my side of town, um, you know, are a bunch of hotheads. They're a bunch of fighters. They like scrapping with each other. Like, you know, they're, they're just like that. I am kind of a rare individual. Um, I've had a lot of father figures to learn from. So I've, I've been fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to educate myself a little bit more in a sense of not just the ways of the world, but you know, in life in general. Yeah. So my outlook on life is always, it's always positive and upbeat. I mean, there are times where I feel like I'm downtrodden and, and you know, I, I, I get those moments where I just feel like I can't figure out heads or tails. I think that happens to all of us. It's it's just a matter of how we handle it. But yeah. <laughs> this has been a pretty good conversation. <laughs> yeah, man, like I said, I definitely enjoy it. So, um next, uh so are are you a fan of Crown Heads at all? Crown Head cigars? Yeah. So how how well received is the Paniolo in oh, Hawaii? Oh, the Paniolo's come off great. Oh, man. <laughs> Let me tell you. The, the 2019s, the, the first, my first introduction to Crown Heads was um, 2016, I believe. The, the white band. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, wait. The white uh, banded Paniolo's. White, white or gold? White. Well, they were like a cream colored band yeah yeah that's I've, I've got a couple of them I, I smoked one uh about two weeks ago I, I i was able to come across uh some 15s and 16s that was my first introduction to paniolos it was also one of my first cigar events i went out to yeah and you know that really spurred my reintroduction to cigar smoking again 
Um, I used to be a cigarette smoker. I quit smoking cigarettes. What is this? 2019. My daughter is 15 years old. Roughly about two and a half. Uh, no. Um, about 15 and a half years ago, I quit smoking cigarettes. Wow. I, I quit smoking cigarettes while her mom was pregnant with my daughter. Um, you know, she would tell me, you know, when your daughter's born, you're going to have to brush your teeth. You're going to have to wash your face. You're going to have to wash your mouth out with mouthwash. You're going to have yeah. to wash your hands. You're going to have to take a shower before you even touch your daughter. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm too lazy for that. I'll just quit. Yeah. And yeah. she looked at me. She was stunned. She was like, wait, what? I said, yeah, I'll just quit. <laughs> so I told my family, I said, you know, I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes in two weeks. Well, two weeks actually ended up two days. And the reason why it ended up two days was because, um, you know, I had, I was down to my last cigarette. I had asked my daughter's mom to grab me another pack because she went to the store and she had forgotten. So she said, oh, well, I'll just run across the street to the 7-Eleven and I'll grab you a pack from there. I was like, nope. And she looked at me, she was like, what? I said, the fact that you forgot tells me that I should quit right now. It's time. And she said, can you do that? I said, this is my last cigarette right here. I'm going to smoke this and I'll be done. And I went cold turkey. Now, have you had any relapses? Nope. Not no? as far as cigarette smoking is concerned. Not at all. So, not even an inkling of an urge. So that's, uh, as of recent for me, uh, July 2nd, I believe, will be four years since I quit. And what, last month, I ended up having a, a relapse for a couple of weeks where at work I would smoke cigarettes. And, you know, just because it was convenient and this and that. But, I mean, uh, you know, like you, uh, my, my wife was pregnant with my son, but that's not why I quit. Uh, I, I've tried quitting so many other times before. I, I know you have to quit for yourself and this and that, but uh, she was, let's see, July, so uh, she was about five and a half months pregnant. So I had, I had plenty of time, but it was, I, I came to the realization, it's like, all right, I, I'm going to have a son. I, you know, I know I'm not going to smoke around him, but at the same time, it's like, I need to smoke. I need, I need to quit smoking for myself so that I could have the pleasure of being able to play with my fucking kid, you know? And I quit. And like I said, uh, let's see, it's been, it's been a couple of weeks since I, since I was playing around with it again, I guess. Um, but it, it was horrible. Like it's, <laughs> You know, smoke, smoking a cigarette is so disgustingly satisfactory. Because, and, and like I told my wife, because after I stopped again, I told my wife, I was like, yeah, you know, I just want you to know that uh, the past couple of weeks I've been smoking cigarettes, but, you know, I, I haven't for a few days, and uh, I haven't since then. Um, but I, the way I explained it to her is like, you know, it – it welcomes you back with open arms, unlike anything else, because as soon as, as soon as I started smoking again at work, it was right back to the old habits, the old craves, the old everything. And it even got to the point where, you know, I obviously outside of the important facts, but 
I started realizing that it was taken away from my love of cigars. And it was to the point where it was like, no, I, I could smoke a cigar right now, but I'll just smoke a couple of cigarettes instead. And it was like, once I realized like, wait, no, I, I enjoy cigars way more than I enjoy cigarettes. So I need to, I need to stop screwing myself here and stop doing this and, you know, just, just get back to what I actually enjoy. So, so yeah, it, July 2nd will be four years, but with an asterisk because I've got a couple of weeks relapse in there. Uh, for me, after about quitting smoking for about a year, I think it was maybe like two years, I came to the realization that I never really needed it. And it's like I said, I went cold turkey, right? And when I realized that I never needed it, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, when I quit, I had guys always offer, like my coworker would always tell me constantly on a daily basis, oh, you want a cigarette? You want a cigarette? Yeah. You know you want one. You know you want one. And I was like, nope, don't need it. Don't need it. Don't need yeah. it. Yeah. I never went back to it. And, you know, I was so adamant about quitting that there was nothing or no one that could ever convince me that having a cigarette was a good thing for me. And that's why I never relapsed, not even once. That's awesome. Uh, you know, when when you make peace with yourself and the fact that when when you find that thing in yourself that says that you never really needed it, that's what helped. And I think what actually got me there was um when when I first came back home from being in the Marine Corps, I got into smoking crystal meth. And it was kind of bad, you know, because it was, I was getting it for free. So I was getting loads and loads of crystal meth and I never had to pay for it because I was actually earning it by being this guy's trigger man. So I would go with him whenever he had to make deliveries and stuff. And I was always the guy watching his back. And when there was, I, I was doing it heavily for roughly about six months straight. Wow. And one night I was looking at some of my old pictures because when I first got back, I ended up getting involved in this company that would do fashion shows for a company called celebrity tuxedos. And, you know, I was out there modeling tuxedos for them and, and stuff like that. So I was looking at those old pictures and I was like, Oh yeah, I remember those days, you know, looking at how I looked back then. The next morning I woke up, went to brush my teeth and wash my face. I looked in the mirror and realized the person that was staring back at me wasn't me. Yeah. And that scared the living dog shit out of me. At that moment, I took everything I had. I dumped it, flushed it, got rid of everybody I was hanging around with. I stopped being around that whole crowd. I told the guy I was, I was doing that stuff for, I said, dude, I'm out. I gotta, I, I'm done. I can't do this thing anymore. And he respected me enough to allow me to, you know, walk away. Well, that's good. That's. And <laughs> I think that lesson in, in itself is what helped me be able to walk away from cigarettes so easily. So with that being said, uh, is, is, is meth a big problem out there or yes. no? 
because yes. that's I, I haven't watched much of it because I can't stand reality TV, but you know, Dog the Bounty Hunter uh, has, has definitely painted has definitely painted a bad light on on Hawaii for sure. Um, it it actually just brings to focus the reality of what Hawaii has become and the things that have been brought to Hawaii because crystal meth wasn't made here. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Crystal meth was something that was introduced like almost everything else. Invasive species of plants have been introduced. Invasive species of animals have been introduced to this lands. Um, you know, back in the day when the, when the ships would come into the Harbor, rats were introduced. Yeah. So when sugarcane and, and pineapples was a big thing, they were having issues with rats eating the crops. So somebody had the bright idea of saying, "Hey, why don't we introduce mongoose into the into the you know into the landscape, and the mongoose will eat the rats." The problem was was they did not do their research. When you look at it. Mongoose hunt during the daytime while rats and mice. <laughs> rats and mice are nocturnal creatures. <laughs> they do these things at night. So now you've introduced another animal, another creature into the landscape that should never have been here. Yeah. And now you got a whole other set of problems because these things will eat almost anything during the daytime. We have owls that nest on the ground. But these owls are being eaten up as, as children because these mongoose will go out there during the day and kill them. And owls are nocturnal creatures as well, right? Yeah. So the mongoose ended up not just killing off owls, but a lot of our old native birds that we've had are no longer, you know, we, we have species of birds that have become extinct because of it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's the, the whole thing about crystal meth is, yeah, it is a big thing. But now there's another problem that's starting to rear its ugly head, and it's um, prescription drugs. Yeah. So it, it goes from one vice to the next, and it's not just Hawaii. Every country, every state, we've all got our own issues. And, you know... Mainland, mostly, they will do crystal meth intravenously. They'll do meth intravenously. Whereas here, meth is mostly smoked. But because of, you know, Western changes, now we've got a, a, a another generation that's starting to do meth intravenously. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's every place has its bad sides. Every place, I mean, if, if, if you watch Dog, they've even stated that where I live is like the worst place on the island. I come from the roughest place on the island that you could ever be raised. And it's true, you know, we, we're raised always fighting with each other, always you know, getting into arguments with each other and it's, it's, it's a tough life, but you have to be able to get through it and you have to be able to figure out how to get through it because if you don't, it's just going to eat you up. If you look at some of the fighters that are coming out of this side, like Max Holloway, for instance, 
Max Holloway is a really good example of, of products of y and You have your bad guys that are out there just fighting with each other. And then you have your good guys that will come out and start wanting to do something more for themselves. Louis Mocha, Max Holloway, Brad Tavares. Um, you know, we have a lot of fighters that come out of Hawaii that get into the UFC and they want to do something more. And the good thing about that is they're trying to show the generations c- to come that you can do anything you put your mind to. It's up to you on how you live your life. Yeah. It's up to you to find a way to do something better. I mean, even Jason Momoa. So Jason Momoa, um, his dad lives actually across the street from me. His dad was my canoe paddling coach when I was in high school. So his dad never raised him. It was Jason's mom who raised him, and she raised him in the mainland. Um, but, you know, his dad, I, I don't know what the circumstances was, you know, behind their breakup or the reasoning why whatever happened. But his dad has always seen, as, as growing up with him being my coach, his dad always presented himself as a, upstanding upfront individual who cares about a lot more than just himself. And he was a great coach. I always loved him being my coach. There was never a time where I would ever question anything he would tell me to do, you know, um, paddling canoe or, you know, even if he saw me messing up in life itself, he would scold me about it and, you know, try and get me back on track. So, I guess in a lot of ways, I was kind of grateful for having him as my coach. I never really met Jason, you know, when, when we were younger. But it's kind of funny how, you know, he was raised and he actually comes back and wants to learn the things that he was never taught while he was with his mom, yeah? Yeah. So like the IHA that he did at, at the the opening for um what was it Aquaman. So I I think he actually did the haka, and the haka is actually a um, a Samoan thing. The IHA is a Hawaiian version. So you know you have all different cultures. The the haka is also a Maori thing. So. You, you have a lot of things out there that we have to share with each other and, and we have to teach each other as cultures. Um, it's kind of good to live in a place like Hawaii because of, there's so many different cultures of, of, and races of people. We're kind of like the melting pot of the Pacific. So there's all sorts of nationalities of people here. It's not just Hawaiians. It's not just Samoans or, or Tahitians, Fijians, Tongans. Um, you know, we have Filipinos, we have Japanese, we have Chinese people here, we have Portuguese people here, we have Russians here. You know, I, I, I think there was a, I, I know I've, I've met a couple of guys, they were Chechnyan or, or Bosnian. And, you know, you got Mexicans. We, we've got such a diverse culture here it, it's well, i mean it, it does seem like a pretty desirable place to live so. it's funny how we can all get along though yeah and 
we we do it because we start learning about each other. The more you learn about the next person, the more you learn, the more you share about yourself, the more it is to be able to get through life coexisting with all of these, these different people and these different cultures. And sometimes you actually acknowledge and accept some of the things that they have. Like um, even our foods. The food that we have here is such a wide, diverse range of, of, of foods. We have Puerto Rican foods, you know, we have Portuguese food, we have Greek food. I love Greek food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the Mexican issue and, and, you know, our own take on, on raw fish and, and even Japanese food. You know, there's, there's so much things. And a lot of the thing that you learn about each other, a lot of the time you can learn more about each other through the foods that you share with each other. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we have get togethers and we call it a potluck. Everybody brings their own dish and yeah. hey, why don't you try this? And they're like, Oh my goodness, what is this? You know, when people try something that they've never had and they like it, if you're the person that created that dish, you feel really happy and proud that you're able to share something with someone that they've never had. Oh, absolutely. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely no professional and I'm, you know, probably not even a novice in, in most cases, but that's, that's the thing. Like if, I, if I'm cooking for somebody, it's like, I, I, I wait to see reactions to see how people feel about it and, and if they enjoy it or not. And if they enjoy it, great. If they don't enjoy it, it's like, well, fuck, how can I change this? You know? But yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, uh, us as just, just as friends and, and family have come together to, all right, like a rib cook off. It's like, all right, who's going to make the best ribs, you know? And even then it's, you know, all right, still, you're going to have a lot of the same styles, but those little differences kind of like, all right, yeah, all right, this, this wouldn't be good with that, but it's good with this. And, you know, just, just, I guess, learning different techniques and whatnot, I guess that kind of relates. I, I might just be rambling. I, I don't know. I know. I'm going to have to cut this short, though. I got to try and get in and take care of some stuff inside the house. All right. That's, uh, I've definitely got more questions, but, uh, we will save that for next time and whatnot. So, uh, before you take off, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a chug for, for legends since I only owe about another 80 or so. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess I'll, I'll call Rob out and I'll, I'll chug this. <laughs> All right, there you go. You're you're my witness. Um, so if, so if nobody from Legends listens to this, I, I've still got you as my as my witness. So, <laughs> Mike, I I can't tell you how much I I appreciate you talking to me about everything, um, and I I definitely look forward to uh, someday taking the wife out there, and and enjoying everything that is Hawaii and, you know, hopefully embracing some of the culture. So, Oh yeah. 
You ever come to Hawaii, man, just look me up. Oh, absolutely. So we'll get you hooked but, into the cigar crowd here and uh, you know the uh the eight oh eight crew. Yep. And see, yeah. here's the greatest thing about where I live. My backyard is ocean. Yeah. You've seen some of the posts that I've done on the chugs by the beach, but now it, it it I, I haven't, but it's also a volcano. So <laughs> Well, where I live, this island we don't have any any active volcanoes. So All right. So uh it, it when I do plan a trip out there, what month do I want to plan for? You definitely want to come out there in the wintertime because that's when it's the coolest. Like, um, you know, around November, March, any, anywhere between like November and March. Okay. Cause that's, I, I was looking it up and, uh, looking up weather and the weather seems to be, uh, pretty desirable all year round. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, hurricane season and whatnot. The most rain I think is October. But even yep. the mo even the most rain is still less than the Midwest. That's for sure. Well, yeah, and you know you kind of want to embrace the rain. Um, we when it rains, we call it ua. And for us, the ua is a blessing, yeah. Yeah. When that happens to us, so we embrace that. You know, a lot of the time you'll see the neighborhood kids just run outside and play in the rain. Yeah. We don't hide from it. We run outside and play in it. Yeah. Well, that's my wife gets pissed off at me because I go out and clean the fucking sewers when, when it when it's raining hard. So Yeah. <laughs> but Mike, thank you so much for for sitting here and bullshitting with me and, and teaching me. I mean, in, in all reality it's it's definitely been an awesome lesson. So always glad to share, brother. All right, man. Till next time. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. There is your history and cultural lesson for the day. I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. I know I did. Thank you, Mike, for coming on and talking about everything with me. Uh, don't forget to check out the webpage, theherfcast.com, and visit the store. You go to flatbedcigarcompany.com. You can go to the CRA website. And don't forget to go to stogiebird.com and try them out. Get five bucks off your first order with a coupon code. Herfcast, Herfcast at stogiebird.com, Cigar of the Month Club. Uh, I haven't been disappointed by them yet. So June was the Four Kicks by Crown Heads, the Oblongata by Asylum 13, the Classico Prensado from Casas Cuevas, the Umbagag from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, and the Black Two by Cavalier Geneve. That was in the uh, five-pack. If you got the eight-pack, you also got the... Uh, Nick and Jim PBE, the pre-band edition, the Amandola Connecticut, and the Tatuaje Nuevitas Yabaro number two. So I need to I need to get on that and change mine to eight instead of five. But anyway, that's the episode. Thanks for checking it out. I hope everybody enjoyed. Take advantage of those coupon codes. Till next time.